Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's survival show where we help you harness the power of choice to live the life that you want, not the life that somebody else wants you to live or a friend or relative or government, whatever, but to live the life that you want to live and strengthen your resolve in good times or bad. Hopefully you enjoyed that little intro song there, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Yesterday truly is gone, folks. And what we are doing today is going to affect what happens to us tomorrow. So thanks again for tuning in. You're listening to episode 15 of today's survival show. It's Wednesday, September the 9th, 2009. Got some good topics to talk about. I'm going to talk about today, retirement. We're also going to talk about skills or gear. Are you learning skills to become more independent or are you focusing on acquiring uh, gear and tools and things like that? Both are important, but we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about what to store, things like storing Water. Maybe for some of you who are relatively new to this, uh, you might not have thought about that. Or if you have, we'll talk a little bit about ways to store water. A couple things I want to mention before we get started into our topics. Uh, found out I got some international listeners. Matter of fact, I got a compliment on my show I'd like to share with you. I was uh, looking at another survival blog and somebody put a comment on there wanting to know where they could find some information uh, or radio or podcasts on survival that were not extreme. And I've often used the opening line that we make survival simple, not extreme. Well, this person was referred to my show, and it was somebody from outside the country. So because of that, we now have some listeners from the UK. So I want to welcome the uh, international listeners listeners to today's survival show again. Thank you for tuning in. It is a pleasure. And I do have a couple of announcements that I want to make, but before that, I want to dive into the first topic, and then we'll cover our announcements a little bit later. I want to talk about retirement, and if you think I'm going to talk about investments for retirement and where you should put your money and so forth, hate to disappoint you, but I'm not really going to talk too much about that. What I'm going to do is talk about setting yourself up for retirement, probably in a way that maybe you haven't thought about yet. And what prompted me to do this segment is the other day I got my social security statement in the mail. For those of you that live in the United States, you probably uh, periodically get a Social Security statement. It's that little thing that comes in the mail from the Social Security Administration that depresses you. It saddens you. It tells you how much you're getting ripped off by your government. Seriously, it tells you how much you're going to get from the Social Security Administration at your full age of retirement, and it will depress you. Because you know what you pay in, and when you see what you're going to get, if anything, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, it's really going to upset you. Well, anyway, I got mine the other day, and I looked at it, and it motivated me to uh, to do this show. Because when I looked at it, it made me sick. And you know, when I retire, I'm 47 years old, folks, so when I retire, I really seriously doubt that there's going to be anything there. I might get proved wrong, but I really doubt it. And if there is something there... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's going to be practically worthless. And and based on the uh, bankruptcy track that our Social Security Administration is on, I'm not going to be uh, uh, holding my breath. So, you know, I want to start by doing some myth-busting about Social Security. 
We're going to talk a little bit about history, and we're going to bust some common misconceptions about Social Security. First of all, you've probably heard that it's a trust fund. Well, a trust fund implies that there's funds held somewhere in some kind of a trust in reserve. It is a bunch of baloney, folks, that Social Security is a trust fund. It is not. It's simply not the case. Social Security is nothing but a bunch of IOUs that the government owes to the taxpayers. And basically, the government has to borrow. If they don't have a surplus, the government has to borrow to pay those IOUs. There is no trust fund. They're lying to you. I remember back in the uh, election of 2000. Remember in the presidential election of 2000, Al Gore kept talking about the Social Security trust fund and how he was going to lock it up in a lockbox? I'm not trying to be political. And we're not going to get into politics here. But that was a bunch of baloney, and I don't care who would have said that. That was trash. There was no trust fund, and there's no lockbox. Let's talk about some facts about Social Security. Facts from the CBO, from the Congressional Budget Office. Listen closely, because this is important stuff. It does affect you. This does affect you, and it's going to affect your future, and it's going to affect how you live, not just today. But if you're if you're in my age group, I'm 47. If you're in my age group, this is going to affect you in the not-too-distant future. And if you already are at retirement age... You may not feel as much of the pinch as we're going to feel in my generation, but you're, you're feeling some of it. Uh, last year, the United States government had a $73 billion Social Security surplus. In 2008, they had $73 billion. This year, it's about $16 billion. They went from 73 down to 16 And next year, that surplus is going to be pretty close to zero. These are facts from the CBO folks. You can look it up. I'll put a link in uh, in today's uh, posting about that. So it's really kind of hard for me to overstate the importance of this shift from 73 billion last year down to about zero surplus next year. What does it mean to you? Well, we're getting there with all the borrowing taking place, right? All the crazy borrowing taking place. You know, I it. They're going to have one of two choices. They're either going to have to borrow and put the country more and more into debt or simply not pay out benefits. You know, it's going to be a complete disaster, folks. And um, if you think that it's not, just get on the Internet, do a little bit of searching, and you're going to find out what I'm talking about. It seems to be that the process, the thought process that goes on today, and again, this is not political. This is just facts, because both of our political parties here in the United States do this. And and for you international listeners, you, you probably have similar things going on with your governments as well. The thought process in our government seems to be that it's okay for a government agency to loan itself money. Well, let me suggest something. If, if you think that way, if you think it's okay for the government, for an agency to loan itself money, you need to go back and you need to take some, some basic accounting courses again. I mean, I'm serious. And, and this is an idea that's floated by a lot of economists on both sides. You know, that it's somehow possible for an entity to owe itself money, especially a government agency, and where everything's going to be okay. That is bunk. If it were possible for someone to owe themselves money, we'd all be financially rich, wouldn't we? 
right? Wouldn't we all be just floating in money if it was possible to loan it to ourselves and not have any consequences and, and, and not have to pay it back? You know, let me, let me put it to you this way. If you can't figure out how to loan yourself money and not pay it back, then the government can't do that either. Our Treasury Department, folks, is no more capable of repaying its debts right now than it is capable of reversing the flow of time. I mean, it's as simple as that. And pretty much by about the year 2017... Social Security is going to see some deficits if we don't do something about it that are going to be just pretty much insurmountable deficits. So we've got a situation here in, in the United States. And and I think the situation we have is our government has a date with destiny, and that destiny is a fiscal emergency for Social Security. We're already in a fiscal emergency now. Social Security is going to get pounded uh, and placed on top of this mess that we're in right now. And that that crisis from Social Security is not going to look too much different than the situation we're in right now. And, you know, we've already got political leaders saying, hey, well, we can't let a good crisis go to waste. Well, they're going to do the same thing when Social Security problem hits, folks. And I don't care what you're being told from the government, you just can't uphold these economic principles. If history repeats itself, and it often does, our political leaders and our money leaders in this country, what they're going to do is, oh, hell, we got the, the, the situation fixed. We can just print more money. There we go. We'll just print more money, and we'll tax more. And that's going to get us out of the crisis. Baloney. Our dollar will crash like we've never seen. Social Security will become insolvent by the time they deal with it. And it'll be way too late by the time somebody else gets around to it. Now, you know, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. President Bush brought this up about four years ago and he got blasted for it. Again, I'm not trying to be political, and I didn't agree at that time with all of his solutions for it, but he was blowing the whistle, and for about 40 years we've had uh, politicians just absolutely uh, decimating our Social Security problem. And, you know, let's go back in history a little bit further. Something else you need to know. I don't know if you realize this or not. Let's not forget that back when Social Security was created, it was temporary. President Roosevelt, FDR, as part of his New Deal, he signed the Social Security Act of 1935. You can go back and look it up. I'll put a link in today's show posting. And it was temporary. And also, it was meant, now, now hear me carefully on this, it was meant to supplement people's retirement income. It was not meant to be a replacement. It was not meant to be the sole source of a person's retirement income. But the word temporary is important. In fact, the first budget that Social Security got, did you know this? I don't know if you know this or not. The first budget, it was a temporary budget. The Federal Emergency Relief Administration, it was a guy named Harry Hopkins that was leading it at that time. The federal government gave Social Security a temporary budget. Why did they do that? Because it was not supposed to be a permanent entity. 
Now, good old LBJ comes along in the 1960s, and he made Social Security a permanent part of the federal budget. And since then, it's been a free-for-all for politicians to raid. I call that, folks, one simple word. I call it robbery. Plain and simple. Again, no lockbox and no trust fund. So why did I mention all this? Well, first of all, I wanted you to know, don't be counting on your government, especially if you're my age or younger. And so it begs the question, how do you want to live when you retire? And I started thinking about this. I started thinking, okay, all right. And this happened when I got my Social Security statement the other day. All right, how do I want to live? Well, first of all, if you're not already putting aside some money for retirement, get going. I don't care what you have to sacrifice. Please, I beg of you, do it. Now, I'm not going to give investment advice. I might do another show on that and give you some of my humble opinions as to what you should do. You've all heard the term diversification. That's very important. You need to diversify. I don't even care if you do something like stick cash away every month. That's a start. All right? That might not be the most return for your investment. In fact, it's not. But even if you just start sticking some cash away, and never touching it. At least you're you're doing you're doing something. But but again, back to the question. How do I want to live? And I started asking my things and tell me if you ask yourself this. When I retire, how do I want to live? How much debt will I have? What will my expenses be? What will my lifestyle be? What kind of house will I have? What kind of vehicle will I have? And I started figuring this out. So what I did after I got my statement is I pulled out a calculator, pen and paper, and I said, okay, let's see. My monthly expenses are X, Y, Z, and I think I'm going to live, you know, X amount of years in retirement. So I took my monthly expenses and figured it out on a yearly basis and then multiplied it by the number of the years that I think I'm going to live, and I went, can't believe this. I'm going to have to have an incredible amount of money. And it freaked me out. I thought, I'm never going to get there. Then I remembered something. I went back to the question of, well, wait a minute. What are my expenses truly going to be? How do I want to live? And then I remembered, well, I'll be debt free. And because I believe in self-sufficiency and because I believe in getting prepared and because I believe in modern survivalism... I'm going to be very self-sufficient in a number of areas. And so I started dawning on me, hey, you know what? I, I may not need a whole lot of money based on the plans that I have to live at retirement. I plan on producing some of my own food. Do you plan on producing some of your own food? Do you plan on having a garden? Do you plan on having your home paid off? Do you plan on having all of your vehicles paid off? Do you plan on having alternative sources of energy so you don't have to write such a large check to the power company every month? How much money, how much expenses, I mean, how many expenses are you really going to have when you retire? Personally, I don't need or want a real luxurious lifestyle. And folks, you know, if you're planning on staying in that 5,000 square foot house with two brand new cars, all kinds of fancy electronic toys, 
bunch of credit card bills and everything, you better have a pile of money. But do you really need that when you retire? I love what Dave Ramsey says. I love it when he says, a paid-off house will take the place of a BMW as a status symbol. It's true. It's true. You are going to have a high level of status, folks, if when you retire, you are truly free, and that also means free of the need for lots of money. That will be a higher status than somebody who has a lot of money and also has a lot of expenses to go along with it. You know, a friend of mine said to me the other day when we were talking about this, he says, well, I think I'm just going to move to the Philippines. I can buy a homestead cheap there. I can get a home for 50000 bucks. I can live cheaply. I can grow my own food and all that. Okay, you know, that's one way to do it. I don't know about you, between you and me, I'm staying here in the U.S. of A. This is where people want to come. No offense to my international listeners, but, but, the, but this is where a lot of people still want to come. I hope in 20 years, when I'm 67, I, I hope that the United States is still a, a decent place to live. I have my doubts. I have my doubts. But for right now, my plans are, I'm going to stay right here. The other thing I want to mention about retirement is this doesn't mean that you quit working. You know, you can continue to work during retirement. I, I mean, uh, I guess you could say I'm retired right now because I don't work. I'm serious. I don't work. And the reason I say that is, you know what work is? Work, my definition of work, is something that you're doing when you'd rather be doing something else. If you go to a job that you hate, you're working. If you're doing something you love and you're having a great time with, that's not work. I love what I do, folks. I get up every morning. I get to work out of my house. I have a 26-foot commute. 26 feet. I have a 26-foot commute. It's about 26 feet from the kitchen to the bedroom that I've made my office, my home office. I office out of my house. This is a great job. For hey, for 11 years, I haven't been working. You know, now my boss, don't tell my boss that. <laughs> no, but, but he would understand what I'm talking about. I hit my quotas. I do my job. So he's happy with me. But I have set myself up to where I don't have to commute. I love what I do. I love selling the products I do. I love the field of sales. I have a lot of free time. I set my own schedule. I do things when I want to do them. And as long as I hit my quota, as long as I hit the monthly monthly goals that are assigned to me, then I'm pretty much left alone. And I can do pretty much whatever I want. I can set my own schedule and do whatever I want. And as long as I don't exceed the expenses that are allotted for me, I'm fine. So I am having a great time. I'm not working. I don't get up every morning dreading what I have to do that day. If you're in that situation where you dread getting up and going to work, then you're working. Well, folks, when you retire... You should set yourself up so that when you retire, that you're still doing something, but it's something you love to do, and you won't feel like it's work. I mean, here it is at 1.15 in the afternoon when I'm recording this, Central Time in the United States, and I can afford to take 35, 40, 45 minutes aside to record this show. Folks, you need to be in a situation 
where maybe you're still generating an income, but you're having a blast doing it. So when you're figuring up how much do you need, uh, how much money do you need in the bank to retire? Figure on maybe you're still going to be doing something to generating an in, generate an income. And I'm not going to say figure that you should still be working because again, I just gave you my definition of work. I hope you're not working when you retire, but I hope you're doing something that you love and you enjoy that's still making you some income. But again, it's all about lifestyle. What kind of a lifestyle? And if you're living a self-sufficient lifestyle when you retire, if you're producing even just a a small percentage of your own food, even if you're producing 25% of your own food, that's money you're saving. Even if you're producing 20% of your own power, that's money that you're saving. If you don't have any car payments, that's money that you're saving. And when that old clunker, uh, when the wheels fall off of that old, old clunker, if the government gets stupid and starts some cash for clunkers program again, don't do it. Go buy another clunker that you can pay cash for. Okay? If you don't have any house payments. Folks, you're not going to need to be sitting on a humongous pile of cash when you retire if you set your life up right and you set it up right now. And again, I'll bring up Dave Ramsey. You know, he suggests living on 75% of your take-home pay. Think about that. If you start today living on 75% of your take-home pay and you're socking away that other 25%, you'll do two things. You will have some good money at retirement and you will have the self-sufficient lifestyle to where you don't hardly have any bills. And you're going to be very well off. The bottom line is, folks, remember what Social Security was about back in 1935. It was meant to supplement your income. It was never meant to replace it or to be your sole source. And I am not counting on a penny of it in in 15 to 20 years from now. I'm just not looking at it that way. And I would suggest that you don't either. So that brings me to the next point and the next topic that I want to talk about. And that is learning skills to become more sufficient. And uh, some of this information I'm going to share with you comes from a member that's on our forum. Uh, he goes by the username Dark Winner, And he brought up some really good points. And folks, um, I'll stop right here and I'll make some announcements. If you are not a member of our forum, please get involved in our forum. We have close to 50 members. We have over 100 different topics on becoming more self-sufficient and secure. You will get a great benefit, and you will learn a lot from our forum. Go to todayssurvival.com and click the forum page. That's all you have to do, and it'll take you where you need to go. It's free, but we've got a good group of people on our forum, and it's uh, some really good topics there. I'm very proud of it. The other thing, the other announcement that I want to make is uh, don't forget about our sponsors, uh, knivesandgear.com. And by the way, I'm going to have a show coming up pretty soon on uh, survival knives. We're going to talk about uh, cutting edge uh, instruments, no pun intended there. But we're going to talk about knives, machetes, uh, axes swords, things like that, and how you can use them in a survival situation. So check out Knives and Gear. He's also got some other good uh, gear on there for your emergency bags. However, 
since he's got some good gear and it's important that you have that, what kind of skills are you learning? And uh, this this poster from our forum, uh, he did a pretty good job. He, he really kind of uh, got my attention on some things. And he said, you know, he says we focus a lot on gear and um, we're, we focus a lot on what should we buy. But are we focusing on the skills that, that we should be developing to live a more sufficient life? And, and I kind of... Um, I kind of liken this a lot to conceal carrying a pistol. Okay, for some of you who live in states where you can conceal carry a pistol, a lot of people get real concerned about what kind of gun should I have? What's the best gun for me? And they forget about training themselves how to shoot it. They forget they forget about teaching themselves situational awareness so they can stay out of danger. And they don't teach themselves how to properly use and how to know when to use that firearm. They miss out on the training. And that's just as important as what type of gun you carry. Well, the same thing with survival gear. You can own all this stuff. You can fill up your garage with survival gear. But what kind of skills do you have? What if you can't take all that gear and all that stuff with you? What if you have to leave and you have to go to another location if a disaster hits and you can't take all that with you? What you know is more important than what you have. And it also helps you when things get real tough. Like, for example, bartering. If you have a skill... Let's say you don't have any of your stuff with you, but you've got a skill. You know, let's say you know how to build stuff, you know, or you're an excellent gardener, or you know how to raise animals. These are skills that you can also barter. You know, if you don't have a bug out location, if you don't have another location you can go to if you had to leave your home, you still have something to bring to the table if you have a skill. You can say, hey, Uncle Joe, you know, um, thank you for letting me come bring my family and, and stay with you during this disaster time. And you know what? While I'm here, I'm an expert at canning all of your vegetables. So you know that garden that you have? You know what? In exchange for helping us stay with you, letting me and my family stay with you, I'm going to help you can and, and put away those vegetables for long-term storage. You know, maybe he doesn't know how to can. Maybe you have a skill and you can help him and you can show him how to do that. So these are skills that you need to know, and uh, this uh, this person from the forum, Dark Winter, he you know he asked some interesting questions. You know he asked things like, "Well, do you know how to garden?" Okay, I'm not that good at gardening, and, and so one of my goals is I'm going to start getting better at gardening. I used to know a lot when I was a kid. My mom used to uh, uh, raise an organic garden, and and she taught me when I was a kid about organic gardening, but I've forgotten a lot of it. So that's one of my goals is to get better. I just mentioned this earlier. Do you know how to can what you raise in that garden? Do you know how to dehydrate them? If you're out in, in, the, in the wilderness, can you identify what wild plants you can eat? Uh, can you hunt or fish? Can you smoke your own meat? Do you know how to make beef jerky? I know how to hunt and fish. So that's one thing. That's not one of the things I'm pretty good at. That's a skill I've learned. If for some reason I had a supply of food and all of a sudden that food runs out, I know how to go out. And I need to get better at hunting. And this fall, one of my goals is to become a better hunter. And I definitely know how to fish. In fact, I took my son fishing uh, just the other day. Uh, we, and, you know, we caught some pretty nice catfish. Catfish are not bad eating. I mean, you know, catfish, sometimes people scoff at that and go, oh, well, it's a junk fish. But you know what? Let me tell you, if you're starving, catfish taste pretty good. Tastes pretty good anyway. 
You know, do you know how to make a fishing pole from scratch? I, I know how to do that. That was one of the questions that uh, this this person on the forum asked. Do you know how to make a fishing pole from scratch? Now, there's another. Uh, member of our forum. Uh, he goes by the name of Long Range Tactical. You need to check out his uh, post. He actually tells you how to make a fishing pole from scratch. Okay, it's on our forum. Just j- go to todayssurvival.com, uh, click the forum, and, uh, and find the post by Long Range Tactical on how to make your own fishing pole from scratch. Do you, know, do you know how to skin an animal? That's another question he asks. You know, do you know how to sew, crochet, or knit? Now, this is something I didn't think about. Can you sew, crochet, or knit? Yeah, guys, crocheting and knitting. You know, as strange as that may sound, it's a very valuable skill. Can you make your own blankets? Never know. You could be in a situation where you might have to do that. You know, can you tie knots? I don't care what situation. I don't care if you're in the wilderness or even if you're just doing some work around the house. Tying different types of knots. When I was in the Boy Scouts, I think we had to learn something like 11 or 12 different knots. And we had to perfect them and we had to be able to tie those knots in a certain amount of time. That's important. Building shelters. Can you build a shelter? I can't. That's that's another goal is I want to learn how to build a shelter. Uh, here's another good one, you know. Um, and folks, for those of you who are very concerned about self-defense, can you reload your own ammo? We have another uh, forum member. Uh, his uh, his username on the forum is JDW45ACP, and uh, this guy is an expert reloader. I have seen very few people that can reload and know as much as he does about it. Very important skill. Okay, if you need ammunition for your self-defense firearm and it's not readily available, having the reloading gear is important, but you need to know how to use it. And you need to know how to load different bullets to achieve different purposes. You know, a self-defense bullet is often different, different than a hunting bullet or a practice bullet. So you need to know how to do that. Can you make your own ointments? Okay, can you make your own first aid materials? Can you perform basic first aid? I can. That's one skill I have is I know some basic first aid. I've learned quite a bit of that throughout my life. I'm pretty good with it. Uh, Can you obtain water where there's no lake or there's no source of water? And, And can you treat it? Can you treat water without tablets or expensive filters? We're going to get into a little bit of that in another segment of the show, but that's also important. How about navigating? How about using road signs? How about using a map? How about using a compass? How about navigating with just a simple map and a magnetic compass? Orienteering. You know, forget the GPS. What if your GPS isn't working? You still need, do you know how to use a compass? Do you know how to properly read a map? You know, can you make compost for your garden? I've just scratched the surface of survival skills, but what you know is more important than what you have. And I thought this was a great post, so I felt compelled to use it on this show because it's so important. And and everything I just talked about here, some of these skills, let's get back to what I said earlier about retirement income, about Social Security and stuff like that. If you have these skills to make yourself self-sufficient, or at least partially self-sufficient, you won't need as much money on hand when you retire. If you have a bunch of money, that's okay. 
But set yourself up so that you're not going to need a lot of it. And one suggestion is is take one skill every month and just try to develop it. You know, some of these questions I just asked you, I'll bet you there are some of these where you answered no. You don't know how to do these. Okay? And then some of these skills I answered no to them. I don't know how to do them. Don't try to take them all all at once. Don't try to learn everything all at once. Pick one per month. One per month. So my goal, personally, I'll share it with you. The next 60 days, next 90 days, I'm going to set a three-month goal. I want to become a better hunter. I want to become a better hunter and a better fisherman. This is a good time to do it because hunting season is here. And this is a good time to learn how to be able to go out and Take the take the animals I need to put food on the table. Alright? And then that doesn't apply just to a survival situation. That's something I want to start doing the rest of my life. I want to start providing some of my own food. Right now I'm not in the position, folks. I can't I can't start a farm here, a hobby farm like I like like the kind that I grew up on. I grew up on a hobby farm. I think it was episode eleven I talked about that. Well, where I live here in Frisco, Texas, I can't set up a hobby farm. I don't have the land to do that. But what I can do is I can go out into the woods, I can go out into hunting areas, and I can take my own food. I can take animals, I can take birds, I can take uh, uh, big game, I can take waterfowl, and I can bring some extra food into the house. Food that I don't have to go out and pay retail prices at the store. I can still hunt and go take that the, those animals at a lower cost than what it would be at the store, and I'd have a heck of a lot of fun doing it. So that's what I'm going to work on for about the next three months. Um, and another skill that I want you to learn is water, storing water, acquiring it, and making it. So that kind of leads me into the next segment of what I want to talk about. And we're going to kind of wrap it up in about 10 minutes here. But let's talk, you know, it, we all store stuff if you're into self-sufficiency. And you store food, you know, you store money, you store various uh, items. But do you also store water? You should be. Let's talk about storing water for a minute. Often overlooked and let's talk about why you should do it. How long can you survive without water? What, three, four days? How long can you survive without food? A week? Eight days? Nine days? You can go a lot longer without good food than you can without good water. Now you might be saying, well Bob, you're getting kind of extreme there. Why, what kind of a situation would happen where I wouldn't have any water? What if a terrorist contaminated your local water supply? Very feasible, folks. It's not that hard to do to contaminate a water supply and shut it down for a long time. Then there's going to be a run on water. There's going to be a run on bottled water at the stores. And they're they're going to sell out fast. You could easily find yourself in a situation, even at home, where you don't have water for a few days. And, and there's many other scenarios that, that could cause a water shortage. Drought. What if it's just a simple drought and, and, and water is rationed quite a bit? Are you storing it? You should be storing it. 
In fact, I would say you should have minimum at first. If you're not storing any water right now, get to a point as quick as possible where you have two weeks worth of water stored up. Clean, fresh, pure water. What if there's a quarantine? What, what if the swine flu comes uh, pretty strong and our government this fall overreacts like they're very well known to do? What if they overreact and, and you're quarantined? You can't, go, you can't go buy anything at the store. Okay, You should have plenty of food stored up for that. Wouldn't hurt, though, to have some water stored up, too. One of the things that you got to realize about storing water and having a couple of weeks worth, it's not that difficult to do. You know, I would say probably a gallon per person per day. So that's, you know, two weeks worth is 14 gallons of water per person. So if you got four people, that you can do the math. That's how much water you need to store. That sounds like a lot to you. Cut it in half. All right. But just start storing some water. It'll make you feel better. And if you, if a situation comes where, for example, there's no safe water to drink, if, if a water supply gets contaminated or whatever, it's good to know that you have got some water set aside. Folks, I don't even care if you start this way. Wait till a sale comes on at your local grocery store and go buy cases of bottled water. Okay, they're already packaged up. I've seen them on sale sometimes for two seventy nine a case. You know, three bucks a case, three and a quarter a case. When they come on sale, buy six, seven, eight cases, stick them in your garage. Okay? Even if you've got that, and even if there is no emergency, at least that way you've bought that water at today's prices, you've saved the money on it, you're probably going to end up using it anyway. Part of survival is, is doing the things today that we can to save money. So when water goes on sale, buy as many cases as you can possibly afford of bottled water. And as far as storing it, how do you store water? You can pretty much take any food-grade plastic uh, or glass containers, and you can use it for storing water. You can use empty milk jugs, anything that's a typical um, fluid container that you know you typically store water in from the store, or or things you know like empty milk bottles and things like that. You know, just make sure that you clean them well, and uh, just make sure that you purify the container after you whatever. If there was something besides water in it, just make sure that you purify it before you put water in there that you're going to store. Now, what I like to use is I like to use empty milk jugs. I just take an empty milk jug, and here's my process. I take an empty milk jug, and I rinse it out real well, get all the milk out of it. I fill it up about uh, three-quarters of the way with water, and I put a little bit of bleach in that water. And then I shake it up, and I make sure that the uh, bleachy water gets all over the inside of the milk jug. And I let it sit overnight. And basically what I'm doing there is I'm getting rid of whatever could possibly be inside that milk jug. When once the milk jug is uh, is sat overnight in the bleachy water, I pour it out, I pour that bleachy water out, I rinse it out real good with a lot of water and I get all that, as much of that uh, bleachy stuff as I can out of there. It's still going to smell a little bit like bleach and that's okay. You know folks, let me tell you. If if I'm desperate for water, I'm not going to care too much about a little bleach smell. But if you work at it, you can get it all out of there. And then I fill it up with fresh purified water. And I seal it up and I store it a gallon at a time. 
Okay, you, that's very simple to do. It's very easy to do, and it costs virtually nothing to store water that way. And the other thing that does by putting the bleach in there and shaking it up real good is inside the handle there on a, on a milk jug, you want to also make sure that you uh, sanitize and rinse inside the handle where there could be milk residue or residue from whatever else was in there. And, and a lot of people ask the question, well, do you need to treat water before you store it? And how long does it last? You don't necessarily need to treat water if it's coming from a safe water supply in the first place. If you have a water filter inside your house and the water filter is in good condition and you filtered it out first and in your house already is a safe water supply, generally that's purified enough. If you don't feel comfortable with that, boil it. Boil water before you store it. Now you know it's purified. If there's nothing bad in the water before you store it, it will keep a very long time without going bad. And rotate your water. Put, the, put a date on it. When, if, you put, if you store it inside of a large container or a milk jug, write the date on it. And every three or four months, if it makes you feel more comfortable, rotate it. Drink or use that water and then uh, fill it up with new fresh water. Uh, you know, just keeping it rotated is a good idea. You also want to make sure that whatever you're storing and the containers that you're storing it in, um, keep them in cabinets or on shelves that, that, that won't fall over very easily. And, you know, if you have some kind of a natural disaster, if you have some kind of a, uh, those of you who might live in earthquake country, you know, try to store your water so that it's low or at least on the ground somewhere so that, you know, your bottles of water, if, especially if you have them in glass bottles or whatever, so they're not falling off of shelves. If there's an earthquake, uh, you know, if you've got, just keep Keep it in a place where it's not going to get bothered and touched very much. And, and, you know, don't worry too much about the taste. The main thing you want to worry about with stored water is that it's safe. Not so much that it tastes good. Remember, this is water that's going to keep you alive if you're thirsty. It's going to keep you alive if you're in a, uh, a survival situation. And you won't care too much about the taste. You know, me and my family aren't going to care too much about the little smell, small smell of bleach, as long as it's clear, pure water. And if we're thirsty and we need to stay alive, uh, that's not going to bother us too much at that point. And another method of storing water for a long period of time is to freeze it. Freezing water allows you to store it in a safe place and use it as you need it. Now, you know, if you're putting it in your freezer, obviously it's going to take up more room in your freezer. So, you know, make sure you've got the room. Make sure you've got a big enough freezer. But frozen water will also help keep, those frozen milk jugs of water will also help keep your freezer colder. Maybe use less electricity, right? You ever been on a camping trip? You put some frozen uh, bottles of water inside your cooler. Helps keep your cooler a lot more uh, cool and helps it uh, run more efficiently. You know, again, make sure that you got this, the freezer space, but freezing it is also a good, pl- good way to do it. Now, of course, you know, if power goes out, and if power is going to be out for a real long time, well, that, that water is going to be defrosting, but at least you know that it's going to be pure water and that it's going to be safe to drink or to use. All right, so enough on storing water. I think you kind of get the picture on that, and I think you kind of got the point on that. Another skill that I want to talk about is, uh, and this is, I haven't heard this talked about much. I heard, haven't heard about, I haven't heard talked, uh, what I'm going to, heard mentioned, excuse me, what I'm about to share with you. And that is, do you have a survival manual? 
Do you have a survival manual? And I don't mean a manual that you go out and buy. I'm talking about, do you have a three-ring binder with survival information in it? Like, do you have your emergency plans? Do you have how-to instructions in there? You know, every time you read something on the Internet, if you go to our forum and you read something that's interesting that maybe you didn't know, why don't you print it? When you find something on a survival blog, print it. If it's how-to instructions, like if it's how to make your own shelter, if it's how to make your own fishing pole, if it's how to can a certain type of vegetable. I've already got my survival manual started. It's a three-ring binder. I think i got about, uh, it's up to about 23 or 24 pages of stuff that I didn't know, and as soon as I found it, I printed it. And, you know, this is better than keeping it on a computer. A three-ring binder is easy to grab and go, stick it in your vehicle, especially if you've got to take off. If you've got to bug out, take your survival binder with you. In other words, find instructions on what you want to do, print them, put them in a simple three-ring binder, and keep that available. You know, fire-starting techniques. I found some information on how to start a fire from scratch. And some things I didn't even know back when I was in the Boy Scouts. I printed it off. And I, I established a little little tab in my survival manual called How to Start a Fire. You can put, you can put campground lists in there. You know, lists of uh, campgrounds in your area within about 100 miles in case you have to evacuate and you need to stay at a campground. You can put rallying points in there. You can put instructions on how to use radios and mechanical devices that you're keeping for an emergency. You can put a por- important account numbers in there. If you have a safe in your house, put your survival manual in the safe if you're going to have account numbers on it. So for little to no expenditure... Get a three-ring binder, go down to the store, get an inch-and-a-half binder. What do they cost? Eight bucks. Start printing things, even if you have to go to the library and use their computer uh, and use their printer. You know, print things little by little. You know, add two or three pages every week. You'll be amazed. You add two or three pages every week and a few short months' time, you're going to have an excellent manual, and you never know when that thing can come in very handy and make that something else that you grab along with your bug out bag when you got to leave. So don't forget about this the homemade survival manual. And with that, I've pretty much used up the time that I wanted to use up. So a quick review. We started off talking about Social Security and how it's probably not going to be there and we shouldn't depend on it, folks. So what are you doing today to set yourself up and what kind of a lifestyle do you want to live? And are you going to be self-sufficient when you retire? We also talked a little bit about skills versus gear. We talked about what kind of skills are you teaching yourself to do to become more self-sufficient. What are you learning? What do you know versus what you have? And we talked about uh, storing water and making a little survival manual for ourselves by establishing a three-ring binder with some information in it. So thank you for listening to Episode 15. I've enjoyed this time, and I hope that you've been able to get something out of it. And so this is Bob Main, and this has been another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you harness the power of choice to live the life you want and strengthen your resolve in good times or bad. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.